I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research, on, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Today on the State of Ukraine, a conversation with the president of Ukraine. I'm Greg Dixon. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has been traveling the U.S. He's been making his case for continued support for his country to defend itself against Russia, first at the United Nations and then on Capitol Hill. He's also been making his case in the U.S. media. And he sat down with NPR's Steve Inskeep, who joins me now. Hey, Steve. Hi there, Greg. Can you just give us the backdrop for this trip for Zelensky? Why does he need to make the case for continued support for Ukraine now? Because the war is going on. It's a year and a half old. We don't see the ending. Zelensky has suggested the worst is over, but we just don't know how much longer it will go and how much longer he will need U.S. support. Of course, Zelensky and Ukraine have enjoyed bipartisan American support up to now. But there is a right-wing faction that is demanding an end to USAID to Ukraine. In fact, it's tangled up in budget negotiations in Washington right now. And so Zelensky knows he still needs to be speaking up for himself. Okay, so let's listen to some of your conversation with Zelensky. Could you just start off by setting the scene for us? Sure. It's New York City. There's massive security everywhere, many streets closed, police all over the street, secret service officers walking around, dogs in elevators, bomb-sniffing dogs, and so forth. And we agreed to meet Zelensky in a hotel suite that we've set aside for the purpose. There are security people in there. There's the NPR crew in there. And then Zelensky appeared in the doorway and came down the hallway and shook hands. He was wearing his trademark military-style clothing, the kind of olive green cargo pants and a dark sweatshirt. And he sat down And as he settled into the chair, he wondered how his mixture of English and Ukrainian was going to work on the radio. I can ask you a question. Yes, of course. Yes, we will speak and I will answer Ukrainian and sometimes English. Yes. But in radio, if they... they will not hear my natural voice. If I will speak Ukrainian, they, they will hear a translation. Yes. Zelensky observed that people can't see the emotions on his face and might not even hear much of his voice. He wanted to reach Americans who have supported Ukraine's defense against Russia's invasion. So whenever possible, he spoke in English about shared values. Yes, of course, we have the same values, freedom and democracy, and that's why we are fighting against Russia. He says Russia shows its values by the way it fights, targeting the power grid or deporting children. They killed our people, women, men, you saw it. They deported children. They are bombing civilians. It's not about only front line. It's not simple war. By the way, war couldn't be simple, but it's not just a war on the front line. No, energy system, nuclear plant, what is it? What will be next? This is the message Zelensky went on to deliver in Washington. His country has enjoyed bipartisan support, though a right-wing faction is pushing right now to cut off U.S. funding. Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy seemed to reflect those right-wing views. Is Zelensky elected to Congress? Is he our president? I don't think I have to commit anything. I have questions for him. Where's the accountability and the money we already spent? What is the plan for victory? After those remarks, McCarthy met Zelensky and said Zelensky answered his questions. Ukraine's leader still faces doubts about how the war would end. 
Some foreign policy specialists say only diplomacy can do that. There are Americans who have urged some kind of negotiation. One of them is Richard Haas, a veteran U.S. diplomat, one of a group of U.S. diplomats who met with Russian officials. I spoke with Richard Haas, and he wanted to know, are you willing to negotiate not over territory, you want all your territory back, but over the timing and the means by which that would happen? Look, we have prepared, I guess, uh, the very correct diplomatic way. He said Ukraine did welcome talks with Russia, like the deal that allowed Ukrainians to load grain onto ships to feed much of the world. He says Russia suspended that agreement when it saw an opportunity, in Zelensky's words, for blackmail. How many times would you need to make the same mistake, really? I believe that with this leader, this is something that it's impossible to do. We can't achieve anything. In one of your speeches here in New York, you said Russia cannot be trusted. Ask Prigozhin. I think yes. Yes. Is that your answer to any call for negotiations? I think yes. We heard a lot of from intelligence and from different people, from different leaders, what negotiations Prigozhin had. Yevgeny Prigozhin was the mercenary leader who mutinied against Russian President Putin. He later walked free under an arrangement that seemed to mean that he would not be harmed and then died in a mysterious plane crash. And it's not the first negotiations with Putin, with somebody, and after that he forgot it, or killed people, or forgot it negotiated. He mentioned Putin's conversations with European leaders just before the war. They spoke with Putin directly, and he said, no, no full-scale invasion, full-scale war, no, I never will go where we are now. Honestly, yes. It's true. You can't negotiate with a person who really doesn't want. Does Russia have to be permanently disempowered in some way? I believe the fact that they won't be coming to this on their own, that they would need to have some sort of uh, like changes, transformation, a new face for the country, Zelensky pondered whether the real problem is Russia or just Putin. He concluded that it shows a problem with Russians that they have allowed Putin to stay in power so long. With Ukraine heading into another winter of war, a team from NPR's Kyiv Bureau went out into the streets this week. They asked Ukrainians what questions they would put to their president. Some said they support him and have no questions at all. But a woman named Lyudmila, who was 73, said she spoke for many. I think we all have one uh, desire to know when the war is over. What can you tell her? Well, thank you for the question. I think the question addressed by Ludmila, who's 73-year-old, I wish her many years, and I think this question is uh, something that many Ukrainians would like to ask, no matter the age. It's easier to say when we will have a victory. Zelensky has set a goal of recovering all Ukrainian territory that Russia seized. Ukraine's late summer offensive has made limited gains, but has moved slowly. 
The lengthening duration of the war complicates every problem in a democratic country. And as we reached out to Ukrainians, one asked about martial law. Ukrainians have lived under it since the invasion started. And our correspondent Joanna Kakissis knows what it's like in Kiev. There are military checkpoints in and out of the city. you got to stop, get checked by guys with guns who look at your IDs to make sure you're in the country legally, that you're not a saboteur. Martial law also means curfews. you got to be home by midnight or you could be detained by police. Uh, shopping malls, cafes, bars, those all close by 10 p.m. And big gatherings like protests, music festivals, holiday celebrations, they are largely prohibited. Martial law has even delayed parliamentary elections, and the president told us there are many obstacles to next year's scheduled presidential election. A Ukrainian economist said he would like to know if Zelensky would lift some of the martial law rules, especially one that combines the operations of TV channels. Zelensky said the questioner should think about the value of unified information in what is a propaganda war as well as a shooting one. And we're all kind of reinforced. And those steps that were made in order to have a unity inside the country and not to allow Russia to kind of absorb us, uh, I believe that those steps that were made, they were right. I want to conclude by telling you a few more things that we heard from Ukrainians. Yeah, please. A number of Ukrainians raised concerns about corruption and hoped that you would clean it up. I know that in recent days, you have replaced the leadership of the defense ministry, and there were some concerns about corruption there. In your view, how widespread is corruption in the government today? Well, first, I want to say that we have a zero tolerance to corruption. And this is why, and everyone knows about this, so whenever we find any detail of corruption or corrupt practices, then everything is discussed openly and the people are uh, kind of dismissed. And let us be frank, there are kind of weak people, strong people everywhere in the world. I think you're saying there will always be some corruption and you will attack it where you find it. Is that what you're... Yes, I think this is the only way how you can, uh, well, defeat the corruption. You can take steps, you can dismiss people, you can run investigations, and people will have to uh, go to prison for corruption. But we have to kind of be very strict and very fast because we might lose the trust and the support of our partners. But once again, I would like to say that the way we're doing that, the way we are kind of showing and disclosing all of this corruption, it's not to, well, for someone to say that we are a corrupt country. No, that's a different thing. Our correspondent in Kyiv was speaking with Ukrainians this week and came across a couple who had just been married. They were just leaving the church. She was in a dress. He was in his army uniform. He was briefly on leave, and they took the opportunity to marry. And they said, of the future, everything's going to drag on in the war. Yes, about our uh, family, of course, like, we're concerned, but we believe in the best because, like, we love each other, we will handle everything, we will overcome everything, and, like, we fight for our family. They want to start a family. What promise can you make to them about their future and the future of their country? Promises. I'm not sure that they need promises. I think that people who 
said such strong words. And I know, it's not about hoping, I, I know that mostly our people, such people, that's why we will win. But we have to stay strong. What I can say, I, I, I will be with them and my family will be with them. And it's great that they will have children. They want to, to have it. And that's so great because what we do, we do everything for the future of the children. And, and that's it. So what can I, I can't promise them that I will be with them. Not at home. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Not at home. No, no, no. But I'm, yeah. I'll tell them you're coming to visit. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. But anyways, I'm I'm happy. So especially, you know, the war divided people. Somebody is in Ukraine. Somebody abroad. But for those people who are in Ukraine, all my thanks. I think you you saved it. You did it, Mr. President. Thanks for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was NPR's Steve Inskeep in conversation with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. And Steve is here with me. Steve, I think people want to know how this war will finally end. Um, Ukrainians, of course, would like to know that. And also uh, opponents of U.S. aid to Ukraine. But in, in in your conversation with him, Zelensky seemed to close the door on negotiations with Russia to end the conflict. What do you make of that? Well, he gives a good reason. How can I trust Vladimir Putin? And really, he thinks, how can I trust Russia writ large, which has supported this president or has allowed this president to rule for well over 20 years. That does leave an unanswered question. Um, And it raises the likelihood, I would think, of a very long war. If you just study history and the way warfare works, uh, it's much harder to be on offense than to be on defense. Ukraine successfully defended and contained the Russian advance. And now a year and a half has passed and the Ukrainians are pushing back. And unless there's some sudden Russian collapse, change of heart, change of government, something we can't predict, it is reasonable to think it may take a very long time to push back the other way. I don't see the end of this war. um, And I don't see how long it will be. But it is reasonable at least to be mentally prepared for it to be a while. Yeah. This man is a former actor, and he strikes me as extremely media savvy. I think we could hear that in his discussion with you about how, you know, the translation would come across on the radio. What do you think was the thing he was trying to convey most in his conversation with you? I think he wanted to get across that he is determined to win and also determined to keep his allies. I was most fascinated by our discussion of corruption, which is in and of itself a problem for the war efforts. You want to eliminate corruption, and we saw Zelensky's effort to do that by removing his defense minister and a large number of other top people in the defense ministry over what sounds like a relatively minor corruption Mm -hmm. scandal. He said we have to have zero tolerance. But the reason he gave for this, the additional reason he gave was we have to act quickly, otherwise we will lose the confidence of our partners. And he was quick to stress that the one scandal they have seen did not involve U.S. aid to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. He knows it would be politically damaging to a vital partner to have some kind of story that American money is being misspent in Ukraine. That is a thing that he wants to prevent, and he wants Americans to know he's on it. Yeah. Thanks so much for this, Steve. Glad to do it. It's NPR's Steve Inskeep. Thank you for listening to the State of Ukraine from NPR News. We'll see you again soon. 
Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. 